Thank you. It is wonderful to be with you. Oh, now I'm speaking about half the number of people. <laughs> half of you have left. It's wonderful to be with you. Um, we, for those of you who don't know me, you know my name because it's been said four times. Um, but my husband and I, Ben, live uh, in the Sahara Desert. And we live with very uh, few Christians. And just to be the richness of being with you is really, uh, really precious to me. Um, and... Uh, it's a joy to be able to share with you um, today. There's no way that I can possibly um, share all the Bible has to give us, all that God has to give us about experiencing him in the wilderness places. Um, but I'm going to give you my little sliver, my little nugget, <laughs> what God showed me about it. Um, I also just, we wanted to say thank you to you. And um, the last two years in particular um, in the desert have been um, years of great challenge and difficulty and turmoil in many ways. And um, we just want to say thank you for walking through that time with us. We've really felt, and we've needed your prayers. And um, we felt that when we called out, you responded. <laughs> and um, we felt closeness to you, probably more than ever, and a need for you. And we want to thank you for sending Steve and Al. That was a great encouragement, and uh, we're sorry we sent them back so ill. <laughs> um, just a couple of quick things. We do have some new snazzy prayer cards that will be on the back table. And if you want to come hang out with us, our time in Oxford is quite limited, so we'll be at the perch um, this afternoon. So if you want to pop by and have a pint with us, that'd be great. So over the summer, we've been looking at the life of David, and this is the fifth of five, um, uh, five uh, glimpses of his life. We've talked about worship in the everyday. We've talked about the authenticity of worship. We've talked about um, uh, his heart for God. And, um, and this talk is called Worship in the Wilderness. Um, I might use words like the hard place or desert as well, but they're all sort of used interchangeably. Um, I would have loved to have turned up in a camel hair outfit, but Sainsbury's was out of them. Um, so just, yeah, at the start, I'm just going to pray. Um, Lord, as we were just singing to you, what a beautiful name it is. Your name is beautiful. What a powerful name it is. What a wonderful name it is the name of Jesus. And God, I pray that you would come and reveal the name of Jesus to us and that your truth would lodge in our hearts and give us faith and hope to keep going and to follow you with all that we've got because you're worthy. In Jesus' name. Um, Paul David Tripp says, it's not hard to recognize the environment of the Psalms. The Psalms live in your city they live on your street, in your family. They tell your story, a story of hope, disappointment, of need and provision, of fear and mystery, of struggle and rest, and of God's amazing, boundless love and grace. You know, I don't know about you, but there, there's something about the Psalms, isn't there? When we read it, we, we feel it. <laughs> we experience it, and that's a beautiful gift of God to us. I don't know your story, and it is a bit of an intimidating thing to bring uh, the truth of God's hope and suffering and hope in the wilderness to you, um, except that his truth is for all of us. And it can be easy to, when someone's talking about their experiences, to sort of weigh it up, well, I've gone through worse, and, and discount it a bit. And I guess what I want to just say this morning is I think God has something for each one of us um, in his truth, and let's listen to that. And my story isn't your story. Your story is unique, but he has a song that only you can sing in that place that he wants to bring forth this morning. David's life began in the wilderness. 
I found that interesting. He spent hours, you know, in the fields in the quiet, isolated place. Um, his early years could have been described as um, by words like favor, success, triumph, promotion, royalty, being famous. But then he was threatened by King Saul um, after uh, becoming a warrior, and he was on the run for about six years. And you can find this part of his life um, between uh, chapters 18 and 31 of 1 Samuel. And those, maybe some words that would describe that time would be isolated, a wanderer, afraid, broken, hunted, hidden, escaping. And many of the Psalms were written in the wilderness. And you say, why in the wilderness? Wasn't he quite busy running away? Why didn't he just sing the Psalms of the earlier times? They were psalms written in the wilderness because they were unique to the wilderness. He encountered God in the wilderness, and he saw things of God in the wilderness that he hadn't seen before. And it brought forth fresh worship and a fresh song in his heart. But many others also throughout the Bible encountered God in the wilderness. Abraham, Elijah, Nebuchadnezzar, Job, Hagar. Jacob wrestles with God in the wilderness. Moses meets God in the burning bush. The Israelites experience God's provision in the wilderness. Many of the prophets encounter God in the wilderness. John the Baptist, the shepherds, and Jesus in his temptation is in the wilderness. And frequently Jesus retreats to the mountain to be with the Father. And maybe we don't think of that as a harsh wilderness place, but it was a place of isolation, wasn't it? And also the church in Revelation 12 is brought to the wilderness twice for comfort and protection, having been hunted by the dragon that the church is portrayed as a woman and the dragon's hunting her. So what does God have to say to us about the wilderness? How do we worship him in the hard places? I can relate to David. I'm sure like you. I uh, grew up in the church and I was a real sprinter in my faith. That's my personality. Run hard, crash hard. Um, I'm like that. I, I was like that spiritually as well, not just, yeah, physically I was a sprinter. Um, couldn't do any long distance running. But, but even in my spiritual life, I sort of, you know, when I felt good about God, I thought he was great. When I felt, you know, rubbish, I thought God was, well, I wouldn't say rubbish, but not there or bad or I was angry or whatever it was. Um, but then God called me to the desert. <laughs> And first he called me to a team of 13 in a city of about 3.5 million. And then a few years later, Ben and I met and he called us to a team of eight, several hundred miles away from anyone, any other believers um, in, a team, in a town of about 30,000. And then following that, he called us just to, to a team of two, the two of us together, last year to go to a town where within 300 miles there are no believers. And so... You never, ever would have used, my dad would laugh if he heard me say this, you never would have used words like endurance and perseverance to describe me and to describe my faith. And um, many of you also have told me your stories, and that's been one of my great privileges in preparing this time, has been talking to you and hearing your stories of encountering God in the desert places. Several of you have even said to me this morning, I'm so glad you're talking on this because I'm in a wilderness right now. You're sitting, there's a wealth, there's a treasure chest in this room. You are gems, you are treasures to each other of what God is showing you in the hard places. And I just encourage you to glean and grow from each other in that. I want you to think of a time when you've hit your physical limits. Sorry. 
physical limits, maybe an athletic challenge or maybe giving birth. Anyone else done that? Um, or maybe, uh, yeah, some physical illness. I want you to think of a time when physically you just felt at the end of yourself. Frequently. Frequently. Yeah. What about a time when you felt emotionally at the end? Maybe having little children and they've been screaming all day. <laughs> just, or maybe you've had a conflict with your, your spouse or with your boss or with a friend of falling out emotionally hit my limits. Okay, what about spiritually? Can't find God, can't see God, can't feel God anymore. And the last one is intellectually, when you feel in over your head and you don't quite understand what's going on and it feels too challenging to learn. And David hits all of these limits and often at the same time. And there are many verses to illustrate this um, oops, sorry, I'm pointing at that instead of at you. Here we go. Did, oh, I didn't turn it on. Jeremy. Okay. Uh, I'm not going to read them all, but there are so many verses. The Psalms are full of them. You, all you need to do is open Psalms and go, boom, you'll see one. Um, but where David hits his limits... And Psalm 3, he says, Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising up against me. This is when he was fleeing from his own son, Absalom. His own son was trying to kill him. That is a wilderness. Psalm 6, I'm weary with moaning every night. I flood my bed with tears. Can you relate to that? I can at times. I drench my couch with weeping. And I'll just jump to Psalm 22, the last one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? I call out to you, but you don't answer by night, but I find no rest. He just hits all his limits. We're going to just look at Psalm 63 um, as a bit of an overview. Um, there's so many great psalms we could choose. But, um, and I have four points to my sermon because I'm not spiritual enough to just have three. And I'm also not British, so... Four points, sermon. Here we go. The first one is we can best see his greatness from the platform of our weakness. Um, oh, actually, I meant to read Psalm 63. Jess, would you like to read Psalm 63 for us? How's that? Can we have a mic, please? Oh, God, you're my God. Earnestly, I seek you. My soul searches for you. Sorry. That's right. Mm-hmm. Um, my flesh faints for you. I'm in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have, I have looked upon you in, my, in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. So my lips will praise you. So I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name, I'll lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied with... with with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed, and I meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your Your right hand upholds me. And those who seek to destroy my life shall go down. go down into the depths of the earth. 
they shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion, be, be a portion for jackals. But the king, the king shall rejoice in God. All these, all who swear by him, by him, in him will exult. In the mouths of liars, liars will be stopped. So David is writing from the wilderness saying, God, I'm thirsty for you. God, I've reached my limit. Um, <laughs> One of the things that uh, we've, we've bought this time coming back to the UK is extra large water bottles because we're finding out that, well, our kids were going through their water bottles at night several times over. I thought, right, I'm so tired of getting up in the middle of the night to refill them. We're just going to get super-sized ones. Because in the desert, you... Um, you can't. You need water to survive, and actually, we all need water to survive. But we went camping last week, and um, I realised toward the end of the day that all I had had all day I hadn't had any water. All I had was tea, and maybe a, a beer. <laughs> and uh, realised actually, so maybe the image of thirst isn't the best one um, for you. But what about air? Have you ever felt like you're drowning? Have you ever felt like you can't breathe? And that's a similar feeling. It's a feeling of desperation. Thirst has to be listened to. The need for air has to be listened to. And that's where David finds himself in this wilderness. Um, I'm, yeah, going back to verse 1, sorry. He says, earnestly I seek you. You know, this whole psalm begins with David posturing himself in an active position of seeking God. And I think that that's really key to this whole worship in the wilderness thing. Um, it's a choice. It's a choice in the places where we're desperate and we don't understand to turn to him and to seek him. And without beginning that way, I find myself thinking, what would this psalm look like? What would this psalm look like if David had stayed focused on himself? What would this psalm look like if he was focused on his enemies? It would be a very different psalm, wouldn't it? But his posture changes. His posture is, oh God, earnestly, I seek you. There's something in that for us. The wilderness could be loss. It could be unanswered prayer. It could be long-term illness. Uh, Ruth uh, said to me yesterday, you never know your need for God until you have to. One of our precious, um, that was the verse that I already did, one of our precious uh, mutual friends is Debbie Berlotti, who's going through cancer at the moment. And she wrote, on July 18th, chemotherapy starts tomorrow at 8 a.m. Then Berlotti will be with me. I receive one infusion for 2.5 hours and then a continuous ambulatory infusion for 48 hours by a pump. Fears up to now have been like flashes, quickly gone, infrequent, but tonight feels different. The reality of all this means is flooding over me in waves. Yet my anchor is in God Almighty. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He shields me as I take refuge in him. It is God who arms me with strength and keeps my way secure. You provide a broad path for my feet so my ankles do not give way. He rescues me because he delights in me. The wilderness is a place of no pretending anymore. The props are gone. It, there's, a, there's a realness that happens. Um, we can't, uh, our view of ourselves grows smaller. And in order so that our view of, his, of him can grow greater. 
He's helping us refocus. Steve mentioned this this morning. He said God wants to refocus us, and that is also the picture I had. He, he uses the wilderness as like a lens. I wish I could have, I don't, I'm not clever enough te- technologically wise, to have actually take a camera and let you see it on the screen and have it out of focus and refocus it. And it's clear and you can see things that you didn't understand. And that, that's portrayed in this picture here. The Eiffel Tower out of focus, Eiffel Tower in focus. God wants to bring clarity in these hard times. It's actually a gift to us. This is a gift to us that we need. Otherwise, he wouldn't allow these things to happen. One of my heroes, Lilia Strotter, who our, our Lilius is named after, she was a student of John Ruskin and left her painting career to go to Algeria, spent her life there. She said, I am beginning to see that it is out of a low place that one can best believe. It is water poured down into a low channel that can rise into a fountain. Faith that comes from the depths has a spring in it. Oops, I'll go back to that. Um, I've lived in the red light district uh, in an urban slum in one of the poorest countries of the world for two years. And four of my six neighbors uh, were prostitutes. And many of their children were in a forced prostitution situation. I've lived with a handful and at times only one other Christian for hundreds of miles for years on end. Surrounded by people of a different faith, I've held children who have died in my arms from malaria and other diseases in a place with uh, no, little to no medical care. I've held my own children who have been at death's door various times with um, various diseases, dysentery and malaria. And I've written down the passwords for our bank accounts and for our Ben's life insurance as he lay on, on his deathbed with pneumonia and malaria. I've helped bury colleagues' children in the desert. I myself have been through an attempted kidnap and various forms of discrimination and persecution for being a Christian. And I, I've wrestled with my own doubts um, and I've wrestled with loneliness. I've been through car accidents, miscarriages, believers falling away, the shadow of death. And the, why do I say all that? I say all that because through it all, God is has been showing me he sent us out into the wilderness, not because of our faith, but in order to see his faithfulness. And I never would have seen his faithfulness had he not sent us to the wilderness. And whatever wilderness you've been in, whatever wilderness you find yourself in, that is his heart. His heart in it all is he's not a mean father, he's a good father. And he wants to show you his faithfulness. There was one night that I was struggling to sleep. We, we, in our previous town, we slept in an outside tent. Um, out in front of our house and very feeling very vulnerable. There was a wall about waist high, so anyone could come over at any time. There was one night in particular, particular I was struggling to sleep, and um, and I just was up in the night praying and sleep a bit and up a bit. And as um, I don't know if I was awake or asleep, but I saw God draw a line in the sand, a line of light around our tent, and from the line, um, light went out from it. And in the morning, Ben uh, and I found out that there were, there's a group of guys who had been traveling through, and they'd stayed a couple doors down from where we were that night. And we were fine. And we read Psalm 3 together. Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Do your colleagues ever say that to you at work? God's not going to really come through for you. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield around me. My glory, the one who lifts my head. Ever felt God lifting your head? 
I call out to the Lord and he answered from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep. You're struggling with sleep. God can make you lie down and sleep. I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear though tens of thousands assail me on every side. Worship in the wilderness is believing in the darkness, what he's shown you in the light. David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary. I beheld your power and your glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and glorify your name. How did David get from saying, God, my soul is thirsty, earnestly I seek you, to saying, I will lift up my hands and glorify your name? It's because he remembers something. He recalls to his mind something. And it's beholding God in the sanctuary. Beholding his power and his glory. He remembers what he's seen of God before that he's not seeing now. He says in Psalm 105, Remember the wonders he's done, his miracles and the judgments he pronounced. It's believing in the darkness what he's shown you in the light. Uh, you know what it's like to navigate a dark room? You know, you've gone to bed, turn out the light, oh, oh, you've got to go to the toilet in the middle of the night. And so you get up and you're sort of trying to, you know, feel your way around in the dark and remember what's there, right? You're trying to remember what's there even when you can't see it. Okay, here's a bit of a test for you. Close your eyes. Don't cheat. What is the person next to you wearing? Okay, that's okay. You can open your eyes. <laughs> but the illustration, the point is, that, he, that David is remembering what, of something of God that he can't see. Paul David Tripp says, The most influential person in your life is yourself. No one talks to you more than you do. This is what David is doing through the Psalms. He's talking to himself. He's reminding himself of God's greatness. You know all these, many of them have been, Simon read out several. Oh, my soul, bless the Lord. You know, he was reminding himself of, of what's true. And I really felt that this was something, um, there's something in this for us, for, for this church, of retelling the stories. What did God do last week? What did he do last month? What did he do in your family? What did he do last year? It was great to hear about the finances. Remember when he answered us before the finances? I remember Tyndale. He came through with the finances, didn't he? Remember, remembering builds faith in us and it helps us to keep going when we don't see. Do you tell the stories to your kids? Do the kids know the stories of God's faithfulness? Do your children know the stories of God's faithfulness in your life? Part of this is preparing ourselves for the road ahead. Um, You know, not all of us feel like we're in a wilderness at the moment. Some of us do. Um, But some of us feel like actually things are quite fine at the moment. But the truth is that, that Jesus said that in this world we would have trouble. And he said he would overcome the world and to take heart. But he said there would be trouble. And there's something of collecting. I, the image I often get in my mind is of a squirrel with acorns. And I often have said to you all when I'm here, I'm collecting up my acorns for winter. Um, often for me, that's been in worship here. And I often just sit and I listen 
And I remember your voices because I know that in a few weeks, I'm going to go back and I'm not going to hear hundreds of people singing, his name is wonderful. His name is powerful. I'm not going to hear that anymore. So I need to remember it. It's collecting up the acorns. What is God asking you now to take hold of, to prepare you for what's to come? If you knew there was a hill in life's journey on the road three months ahead, what would you be doing now to prepare yourself for it? He doesn't want us to live in fear. It's not being afraid of the future. In fact, uh, Proverbs speaks directly to that uh, in a different section of my notes. Uh, Do not fear. Well, anyway, have no fear of sudden disaster over the ruin that overtakes the wicked. For the Lord will be at your side. He will keep your foot from being snared. He doesn't want us to fear, but he also... There is something of this beholding you in the sanctuary that we latch onto and you remember. So are we just gathering up the scrolls for today? Are we just going home and eating, you know, the little bits he's given us for today? But when, when the dry times come, do we have a reserve? Do we have a feast in our backpack? That's just been, that's been put there, just waiting for these moments. Jesus said, the work of Christ is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. This is worship. Worship is believing, believing when we don't see. You know, sometimes worship in the desert place um, doesn't sound very beautiful. <laughs> it doesn't sound like the band who were all in key and who practiced for, you know, an hour and a half before it started. Sometimes it sounds like uh, a violin that's out of tune. <laughs> sometimes it sounds like a cry. Sometimes it sounds like a groan. Sometimes it's just silent, but it's, it's, it's within and it's coming out. It's choosing to take the posture of brokenness with faith in the healer. Um, we had our second miscarriage here in Oxford. We had just arrived uh, and uh, just a few days after we were at a friend's house. And, uh, and I remember um, a few days after that, just getting out the guitar and my heart was broken, and my hormones were all over the place, and I was physically in, in pain. And I remember just singing, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, heir of salvation, purchased of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. This is my story. This is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story. We need to tell ourselves that this is our story. Our story is a story of praising him all the day long. And we have to remind ourselves of that truth when we don't feel like it, when we don't see it. Um, Sorry, here. In Psalm 23, David talks about leading the sheep. Um, And it all starts off sounding a lot like Oxford. It starts off in green pastures, starts off beside still waters, and soul restoration. Sounds pretty good. Uh, and then it takes a turn, and they get to a valley, and there's the temptation to fear. And the valley is the valley of the shadow of death. Our adopted people group, they are shepherds. And in the rainy season, the animals are all around the towns, and they're with the families, and they're... Um, happy as anything, I've never seen a cow actually jumping with joy like they do in the rainy season before. But they do. They actually jump. It's marvelous. But then the dry season comes, and the shepherds take the cows far away. And sometimes it's hundreds of miles, and sometimes it's multiple countries 
away in order to take them to green to pasture, to find pasture for them. And I often think of this when I think of the valley, the shadow of death. What is that like for the animals? There's suddenly pasture, and then suddenly the shepherd has taken them far away from home. And how does that feel to us? But he is the good shepherd, and he has green pasture for you. And if you're in the valley, he wants to lead you to that pasture. And believing him is worship in the wilderness. Christ is enough for us. David says, my soul will be satisfied with food and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. I've seen malnourished children healed and made healthy. And that might not be a picture that particularly speaks to you, but I tell you, when you get a chunky monkey kid in in Africa, they stand out. God wants to make your souls fat in your workplaces. He wants to make your souls fat in the wilderness. He wants to feed you so when people see you, like when they see a chunky monkey little baby with roly-poly legs and all the rest of it, they go, whoa, God wants you to look like that in your soul with other people. He can give that to you. One of our own, Ruth O'Connell said, I said, Ruth, can you share your wilderness experience with me? And Ruth said, well, it's funny you say that, Michelle, because what should have been a wilderness has been an oasis for me, for my soul. I never knew true joy like this before, but I'm experiencing it now, and I feel closer to God. God can turn our wildernesses into oasis, not because our circumstances change, but because he meets us and he satisfies us, and he brings forth water from the depths. I mean, that's one of the things about being in the desert. You know, you can't just, well, rarely can you turn on a tap, well, you can't turn on a tap and get cold water, rarely. Um... So water's got to come from the depths. You've got to, the the wells go deep and you've got to draw it up. But it's satisfying and refreshing. And God can uh, make those places oases. And David says, you are my portion, my inheritance. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. In 2015, we moved back to Africa. And we left here. And we had a three-month-old baby. And we had moved seven times in the previous seven years. So we were really excited to move into uh, a home that we had heard was ready for us and whatever. We arrived, it had been promised to someone else, and we, had, we were basically homeless for a couple months, kind of popping around to other people's homes. And during that time, we had a lot of dysentery. And um, there, was, there were just many, yeah, many, many difficulties at that time. I'm going to just tell you one story because it involves you. We called for a day of prayer and fasting during that time because... Felicity, our three-month-old, had dysentery for six weeks, and we weren't seeing breakthrough. A whole bunch of us were, but she was the worst. And we called for a day of prayer and fasting, and I sat outside. We had no electricity, no fan. It was really hot. I was sitting outside with her on this day of prayer and fasting, and um, it was hot just praying for her, and a sandstorm hit. And I was like, really, God? Like, seriously? You know? My baby has a fever and dysentery, and you send me a sandstorm. But I stayed outside um, because at least it was a breeze. And I looked up after the sandstorm. There was a beautiful rainbow in the sky. And then this wall of rain hit, and the rain started pouring down on us, and I stayed outside. And Felicity's fever broke, and she was healed that day. But, you know, I never would have seen the rainbow if there hadn't been the sandstorm. And I never would have understood God's beauty and his power and his closeness without that experience. For me, there have been two things that have 
kept me going through the last, I would say really the last decade, because that's, I think that's when my deeper faith began. Um, and they are the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. They have been like my sticks that have got me up the mountains and through the valleys, the sovereignty of God and the goodness of God. Uh, Jesus himself says that he is the answer to our needs, the fulfillment of our thirst, the answer to our questions, the bread from heaven. What are you eating in your wilderness? The enemy is there to offer you a canopy. Would you like some anger? How about some self-pity? Despair, pride. He's saying, why don't you take this? It will taste good and you really deserve it. You really are allowed to have that. It will taste good. But likewise, Jesus himself is saying to you, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You have a choice to make. We have a choice to make in the wilderness place. To drink of him. He says, out of whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit who had, uh, sorry, the spirit to whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. But the spirit, as we know, has been given now. I'm just going to finish up. He is healing in our brokenness. He is bread when we are hungry. He is wisdom when we're unsure. He is light in our darkness. He is hope when we're in despair. He is peace when we're afraid. He is a judge when there's injustice. He is a warrior who's defeated our enemies. He's the restorer of fractures and ruined things. He's the creator of all living things and he rules from heaven. And he is the author and the finisher and the perfecter of our faith. The one who can keep us from falling and present us before the throne of his majesty majesty one day with exceeding joy. He is Jesus and he is enough for us. The last point, number four, worship in the wilderness is a sacrifice of praise. David says, on my bed I remember you, I think of you in the, in the watches of the night, middle of the night worship. Do you ever worship in the middle of the night? Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. Bill Johnson talks about how when we surrender to God and when we sacrifice to God in the midst of our suffering, it's, that is the sacrifice of praise. It's a sweet aroma to him. It's trusting him that he knows what he's doing even when we don't understand. Susanna Spurgeon, um, one of my heroes, uh, I'll just uh, summarize her quote. She was bedridden, Charles Spurgeon's wife, sorry. Um, she was bedridden for many years, and she writes one day about feeling strength cold in her heart, even though there was a warm fire in the room. And she writes about God speaking to her about how when the wood is put into the fire, a song comes forth. And God, you can use the wilderness places to refine and purify our faith, like, like that violin that's being tuned. He can purify our faith. And there's a sweet song. I tell you, we were just at a conference with um, about 900 missionaries who work all over the Muslim world. And we always have a night of remembering those who are no longer with us, those who in the last two years have died, whether they've been killed or whether um, they had illnesses or died. Um, And the worship after that session, every time, is so pure. It's so beautiful just to hear people who are willing to give everything for Jesus. There's a purity that happens in it, a sound that comes forth. Uh, that pleases him. That's what he wants to do with us in the wilderness. 
He wants to refine our worship. He wants to tune us again to sing his praise. He himself overcame temptation in the wilderness so that we could have peace and his righteousness when we doubt. He was forsaken on the cross so that you and I would never be forsaken, no matter what cross we carry. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. There's one uh, thing that I felt like God wanted to um, call you to as a response. And that was to, um, if you feel like you're in a wilderness, I think you know what you need to do already. (laughs) But if you don't, I feel like God wanted to call some of you to actually choose a wilderness for a time. To set some time away in your diary this autumn to be with him. To go to a quiet place for an extended time, a day, a weekend, um, and be with him. So I just put that out there. If God's stirring you in that, then tell someone, respond to it. He's saying, what acorns does he want you to collect? And he's saying, come drink of Jesus and be filled afresh with his spirit. Thank you.